Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today, I'm joined by OG podcaster, author and journalist Emma Gannon. Emma started out the hugely popular Control-Alt-Delete podcast back in 2016 and has been interviewing people on their careers ever since. The show has had over 8 million downloads to date and features the likes of Elizabeth Gilbert, Ava DuVernay and Gillian Anderson. And so I was fascinated to find out Emma's own podcast choices. So, from the wonderfully warm shows like Nobody Panic to the thought-provoking like Brené Brown's Unlocking Us and in writing with Hattie Crisell. We also got to chat about her debut novel, Olive, which is such a great read. Um, highly, highly, highly recommend it. So, kick back, podcast lovers, as we get cast away with the one and only Emma Gannon. Emma Gannon, welcome to Castaway. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of this show. I love it. I love how meta it is. <laughs> I know, like we're down the rabbit hole here, a podcast about podcasts. You've been doing your podcast for, for quite a while now. And congratulations, by the way, on the success of it. And is it over 7 million downloads? Something like that? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was a total accident that I fell into this podcast world about, yeah, about four years ago now I started it. And... Yeah, who knew that I'd still be here, <laughs> still making them. Why did you do the first podcast? Was it an idea like, I'm going to do a podcast because I like podcasts or, oh, this is kind of a good thing to do on the side to kind of promote other things that's going on in my life? Yeah, so I did it to just promote the book. So I had a book that came out called Control-Alt-Delete and it was a book about growing up on the internet and very much from my point of view, talking about myself a lot. <laughs> and um, after it came out, I just really wanted to keep talking about the topics, but mm -hmm. I, I wanted to turn the microphone on other people. And I'm sure you understand this, but I think there's a limit to how much you can talk about yourself and your own experiences. And I just felt like, do you know what? I don't need to be talking anymore. I just want to listen. And so I thought a podcast would be the perfect format to do that and carry on talking about the highs and lows of online life, but invite other people on really. It's interesting. Someone else I had on the show uh, last series, or actually it was the first series, Giovanna Fletcher, and she actually talked about how she got into her podcast because her podcast is a huge success. But again, she had written this book and and then said, I'll do a little podcast on the side to help promote it. And then suddenly the podcast became bigger than the book almost. That's what happened to me. Yeah. People were like, oh, it's so cool that you got a book deal from your podcast. And I was like, <laughs> no, no, <Actually>. no. <laughs> It's just that no one read the book. No, I'm joking. But definitely people listen to the podcast. More people know the podcast than the book, basically. You've been doing the podcast now for four years? Yes. Yeah. 2016, I started it. And, you know, in the recent few months, especially with lockdown, I feel everybody has a podcast. Everybody I interview, even outside the podcasting world on radio, they say, oh, by the way, I've got a new podcast coming out. How do you feel about all these new people coming in on a world that you've already been in for a while? Well, I do think that there is absolutely room for everyone in podcasting. And it's not like everyone has their own TV show. It's not like mm -hmm. everyone is clogging up like 
this mainstream channel that we know so well. I think it can be so niche and people can have podcasts on anything and everything. Like there could be a podcast on gardening or a podcast on Harry Potter or, you know, a podcast Mm -hmm. on sewing or knitting. And I feel like everyone can have one, actually. And I know there is a bit of an eye roll of like, oh, you know everyone's in lockdown starting a podcast like help us we don't need another podcast but I don't know I feel like we can all do our thing and I quite like that you know it's it's very important to with your podcast make it unique find that unique selling point which you've done with your podcast how important do you think that is you know if someone's asking god I really want to do a podcast what should I do because there's so many out there yeah and I think we all have a responsibility to not make this an echo chamber Mm -hmm. of you know, friends in the industry, basically all interviewing each other the whole time. And I definitely felt like I was becoming guilty of that. And I Mm -hmm. felt like, oh, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm in this sort of world now where everyone who's got a book out that month all interview each other. And I just, (laughs) you know, it's not why I got into podcasting. I, I definitely got into it because I felt really stifled and frustrated in the magazine world because I used to interview people for the magazines Mm -hmm. and I never and all the fun bits used to be edited out and I Mm -hmm. just was really frustrated by that so podcasting yeah is meant to be this medium where we tell stories and find new stories and you know the most downloaded episodes of my podcast for example are not with the A-list celebrities you know those are the least downloaded ones and I found that really interesting I was like oh that's quite cool in a way that you can interview a you know an, an expert on a topic that has like a hundred followers on Instagram and that interview is meaningful in in a different way and I don't know I just think we need to open that up a bit and and help independent podcasters get more airtime and also help with the diversity of the medium you know um, the iTunes homepage should look as diverse as we want every other format to look. And I find myself going to podcasts to learn as much as I would go to books. I I prefer podcasts because I kind of feel like maybe it's something in your ears but you're kind of eavesdropping in a way. Yeah, you feel like you know people really well and there is an intimacy. And I think that's what's so amazing and valuable about podcasts. And, you know, not that they're all, you know, it's always about making money. But at the the end of the day, it's like if someone wants to sponsor a podcast, Mm -hmm. there's no better way to tell someone about your thing. Or, you know, it's not like you've got the TV on in the background or the radio on in the background. Like you're you've got your headphones in and you're committed. You're on a walk or you're doing the washing up or you're in the bath. You know, like you're so engaged, I think, in a podcast. So, yeah, you feel like you know the people and it's yeah. I, mm-hmm. I went to the Acast party and I just it was like I was in a room with all these people that I didn't know them, but I felt like I wanted to go up to them and just hug them because yeah. I'd listened to their podcast for so many years. It was a bit I was a bit creepy. But then people are probably doing the same thing with you because I, I've definitely listened to your voice uh, through your podcast more than I have in real life because I, I think we've barely met, do you know what I mean, a few times. And and I feel like I know you really well because I've been part of these conversations that you've had with these people that I respect. Some I know, some I don't know. So as a journalist, you're used to interviewing lots of people for magazines and and papers. And I always feel there is a certain level of maybe privacy that you kind of have to be careful of. While with podcasts, people are just more open. And I'm just wondering for you, as someone who asks questions, do you find it a, a much safer space? Yeah. And also as as a journalist, I've, I mean, I wouldn't really call myself one anymore, really, if I'm being honest, because I left that world behind a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both know it's quite a toxic not not all magazines, but some are still mm-hmm. quite toxic. And 
I never wanted to get a scoop. Like I was never interested in finding some someone's private information out. You know, I mm. if I'm interviewing an actor, I don't want to ask them if they're pregnant or if they're got if they've got a new boyfriend. Like I couldn't care less about that stuff. Like I would just want to talk about the film and talk about them and talk about their creativity and their, you know, their thoughts. And that's what I love about podcasting is that it's not about a headline. It's about a 40 minute conversation that can't be clickbaited. And I just love that. And I think that's the power of it. And also, like you say, if it's our voices that are being listened to, it's also really nice not to be conscious of how you look when you're doing a podcast. Because I think for a lot of women in the media, your looks just are part of the parcel. Mm -hmm. And actually for you to be known for your voice is a nice thing. There are definitely things that I look back on and think, oh, that's why I left. And I think mm -hmm. for me, it was more when I worked in magazines, I was in my early 20s and I never had the final say on what would go live. So I would write the article, but then my editor would kind of change the headline. And then mm. I'd be like, well, my name is attached to that. And I remember once I interviewed someone who was the boyfriend of a really, really famous woman. Mm -hmm. And he was like, do you mind just like not really mentioning me? as being her boyfriend and I was like oh my god of course mm -hmm. and so I handed it into my editor and then literally the next day the headline is oh. blah blah's boyfriend <laughs> and it's, but it's like, not in the article it's just the headline but the headline is the first thing people see it's the first thing and I just messaged him because I felt like we had a really good relationship being yeah. like, I'm so sorry and he was like oh gutting but but I, I had no power over it so I think that's what's nice about the podcast is whatever goes out is something that I've mm -hmm had the final say on which is really nice and people don't realize that as well do you know when, when you read a when you read a headline somewhere and let, let's be honest in today's age we want things quite we want clickbait we want things quickly you know we don't read the full article we look at a headline we will see the journalist's name and we will assume that's what they've written and I think even the people you interview think that it's so important to know that actually the person who's written it doesn't have the final say and what goes out even though that is their name attached to it they know, the heat. and it's and it's really it's really a tricky one because even though a lot of it you can look at and think god I really don't agree with that mm. I also feel privileged that I could quit my job and leave and I and I and I'm sure there's people in jobs that don't sit right with them and they and they still stay there because they need to be paid and yeah I feel like the industry itself needs to change um as a whole with the podcast control all delete it's really an insight into people who've looked at their interests to shape the work they do. And, you know, you mentioned they're you know, in such a privileged position that you can, you could leave the job that you didn't want to do anymore and actually make a career out of what you love. And not everyone can, can do that. I guess what would be your advice to somebody who's maybe in a situation where they're not loving what they're doing and they're not interested in what they're doing, but they have to make money? Yeah. I mean, that's why I wrote the multi-hyphen method, which was my like business book that I wrote a few years ago. And really the premise is that you, you side hustles or side projects or whatever you want to call them. I mean, that's what saved me. So I started my podcast and I've had a blog for years and things like that. I always did it on the side of a job. Mm -hmm. So even even though I did quit and, and I, was, I was lucky on paper that I could because I got a book deal and everything it wasn't like a quit my job into the unknown because I'd had these side projects for so long. And so I interview a lot of people on the podcast actually about that, about that transition. So you're kind of stepping across into something. It's like a transition rather than a quit my job. And I, I'm just like jumping into the unknown. Um, so for example, Emily Weiss, who started Glossier, 
that mm-hmm. amazing makeup brand. You know, that was waking up at 2am and and doing that on a Sunday. You know, she had a full-time job. And I think that's what's really powerful is people who just experiment and then it mm-hmm. enables them to quit at some point. And I wonder how many people during lockdown have been able to maybe pick up a side hustle or dedicate more time to it, or even even if they haven't been able to at least reflect on it. Because I think there's a statistic that like 85% of Londoners hate their jobs. And mm. and I don't I don't agree that that should be normalized. You know, people are like, oh, it's, it's normal to hate your job. Like jobs mm-hmm. are awful and that's just the way life is. And I'm like, no, we spend so much time at work. Like we're allowed to want it to be maybe not perfect and happy all the time, but I don't think we should be miserable and and act like that's normal the multi-hyphen method um i mean you live it you you are multi-hyphen and with the amount of things you do i mean you've just released your um debut novel olive and how was it i I guess because you you know you are a writer but this is a very different thing to sit down and actually write a novel how how did you find that experience yeah i've always wanted to write a novel so it's it's really really exciting i'm trying not to you know play my own tiny violin that i'm um in lockdown for this moment but um you know I'm getting over it but it's yeah it's just been so much fun and again it was a side project because um I sort of had to write it in private for a for a bit and Mm -hmm. practice and you know it was like trying a new thing and my confidence wasn't really there and yeah I'm sure a lot of people try new creative projects that they're they're not sure about but yeah I worked on it for about a year and then kind of showed my agent and then we worked on it for another six months so it's been a really long process and I wanted it to be as good as it possibly could be before I shared it with publishers um I wanted people to take it seriously I didn't want people to think I was just trying this out um and being flippant with it I wanted to prove that this is something I really want to do I want to I want to write more so yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. Well, massive congratulations. It's Thank it's you. a huge thing to do. And I want to get to your recommendations because you've given me a great list of recommendations. And like we're in series three and I'm still coming across podcasts I've never heard of before. I love this. I love this so much. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is a podcast called In Writing by Hattie Crisell. And I guess we should start there because we're talking about writing and journalist Hattie, basically, she visits the studies of writers of all kinds. So everyone from novelists to screenwriters to poets to journalists and more. When I was being most honest about the things that had been most difficult for me and that I felt were most personal, those are the moments that have turned out to have the greatest connection. And that has been a really wonderful realisation for me because it's made me realise that actually if I'm more myself, not less, if I lean into the absolute truthfulness of who I am, that's when good stuff happens. Welcome to In Writing, a new podcast that gets into the heads and the studies of writers of all kinds, from novelists to screenwriters to poets. I'm Hattie Crissell, I'm a journalist based in London and I started this podcast because I've always had endless questions for other writers. How did they get started? Do they sit down with fully formed ideas or are they freestyling as they go along? What have they learned from years of honing their work and what can we learn from them? How did you come across this podcast, Emma? This podcast I just saw on Twitter because I I follow Hattie. She's a Mm -hmm. brilliant journalist. She writes lots of features for like Grazia and The Times. And she's someone I've not met in person, but you know, one of those people you just, 
you've you just followed you know. for years. Um, so yeah, I saw it there. You know, we talked about journalists a little bit earlier on and the industry. And I think the industry has become quite toxic. I, I remember when I studied journalism, like the amount of things I got taught in the classroom that mean nothing like defamation of character. Or you you have to like have your sources correct. And then you kind of go into the world and you're like, oh, it's so cutthroat and there's so many things written that aren't correct. However, a lot like lo- most of my friends are journalists and they are the best people to be at a party with because they've got all the best stories. Yes, they probably do. And also, I think if you are in, you know, researching and in in the world, you know, getting stories like that, you probably probably would dip your toe into the fictional world because mm-hmm. you probably just have so many ideas floating around and it is it is fun to take a topic and just kind of put it into the mouths of characters so you can say things that you would never say yourself, which is mm-hmm. really fun. Are some of your characters based on real people? They're not necessarily based on people, like individuals, but they probably emerge an amalgamation of a few. And Mm -hmm. so, and and people that know me really, really well, like some of my best friends are like, is that character thingy and thingy? (laughs) I'm like, yep. (laughs) And they can tell if like one character is based on something that happened with an ex-boyfriend. It's quite funny that they know they can really kind of dig in and understand some of it. But to, to, the, to the like normal reader who's going to pick it up, they wouldn't know. And you can't get in trouble for it because you're like, no, it's not real at all. Exactly. And that's why people say that novels are like the most exposing and truthful is you're basically telling the truth, but it's covered in, you know, um, a cloak of fiction. How, how do you get your motivation to sit and write so many words on paper and how do you not procrastinate I mean I couldn't think of it in that way if I think about right I'm going to sit down and write 80,000 words I definitely wouldn't it's so much of a slow process of every day I'm just really kind to myself and and I don't push myself and I and I have a limit sometimes I want to write like 500 words a day or something I just break it down and I just tell myself that you can do the maths and you can be like, right, it's going to take me this many days to write this many words and just, yeah, going slowly. You know, there's no rush. There's no rush with it. I think you can give yourself the time and um, the more you put pressure on yourself, the more I think it it doesn't come out. So, um, I mean, it's funny because I always use the analogy, like when I first started writing this book, I was wearing a brace, you know, one of those Invisalign braces. Oh, yeah. And my teeth were really wonky. And then by the time I finished the book, my teeth were straight because it took a, it took a year. And I was like, isn't that the best comparison that like every day a tiny little thing happens and then by the yeah. end you have something. And um, you don't even realise it's happening as it's happening because it's, it's exactly. happening so slowly. Exactly. But this oh. podcast is really good if you want to basically find out the insecurities of people <laughs> because this podcast is really everyone's so honest about how hard it is and how much you like help, hate yourself and like all the self-loathing and all the things that go wrong. And I, and I and you know I'm not saying that I want to listen to people's problems all day, but this isn't a podcast of like look how amazing and successful I am. It's mm-hmm. a podcast that's like this is how much I struggle and that can I th- be very helpful to people I think. It's funny that you say that, you know, this is a podcast about not about how, how look how successful I am, where you look at like, all the people that Hattie has on and they're really successful, like Alexander Shulman, uh, Charlie Brooker, all these really successful people. But it's it's kind of talking about the struggles they have had to come up against and what they've learned. Yeah. And I, and I guess there's a, you know, there's a podcast for everything. I think my podcast, for example, is a pep talk, like it is very much 
a confidence boost and it's a bit of a you know if you're feeling a bit crappy come and listen and and hear these stories and and lift yourself up and actually that's good for some people in a certain mood but sometimes you want to listen to a podcast where you just want to hear how rubbish it's been and Mm -hmm. you know you just it's just whatever suits your mood at the time I think. Alexandra Shulman in the podcast how he did with her she talks about the article that changed her career do you remember the first time you wrote something that really impacted people where you got that reaction? Mm, that's a good question. I I don't know. I mean, I can't really think of one article. There was one that I wrote maybe at the beginning of last year, actually, which was about how the new perfectionism is being like this perfect woke activist who never messes up and gets everything right and always says the right thing. And I And that resonated with a lot of people and our yeah. cancel culture is so yeah. heavy and I, f- I just feel like everyone's treading on eggshells trying to be a good person and so I'm glad I wrote that I just think we need a bit more empathy for people and I don't think anyone should be cancelled I think everyone should have room to grow and apologize of course and and do better but mm-hmm. not cancelled forever yeah and say something because the worst thing you can do is just frighten people to say nothing Exactly, exactly. I've, I think um, in my 20s, I was really nervous about always having to do the right thing, be the right thing. And mm-hmm. I, I've become more comfortable in my 30s, I think, of just knowing that I'm constantly evolving. And I know how to forgive myself now, I think. I think I was really bad at that before. Aren't the 30s so much easier than the 20s? Oh my God. Oh, 20s so is so easy. Sometimes you look back and they go, oh, don't you wish you were in your 20s again? God, no. <laughs> No, no way. Thank you. No way. And, and and just to kind of know your mind. And and um, one thing I love from even just your, your online life, Emma, because I'm sure that's not your only life, but your online life is this community of writers. Um, you know, you kind of have, it, it, it seems to be a community rather than a competition of all kind of helping each other and encouraging each other. And, you know, with Hattie's podcast, to go back to that as well, if there was any writer that you could get in a room and sit down and kind of really you know, ask them any question, who would it be? Mm, That is a good question. Honestly, I feel so, so lucky that I have interviewed so many writers that I love, which Mm. I can't, I can't really believe it now. Because I think having a podcast as well, is just one big excuse to, um, you know, hang out with someone. (laughs) Um, I'm always just like, I'm gonna go for a coffee with this person under the guise of Jonna come on my podcast. Um, But I would say, Someone that I think about a lot who really impacted me when I was much, much younger and maybe is the reason I'm even a writer is Jacqueline Wilson. Really? Just love her. And I, because she's older now and, you know, I don't know how old she is, but I really just want to talk to people who are, you know, in their 70s or 80s and talk to them about their careers and hear what they've got to say. I think we, we kind of glamorize like youth so much. Mm Mm-hmm. So if I got if I had to be in a room with anyone, I I would pick someone like her. I think. And are you? Is it Tracy Beaker or what? what, what yeah, what Tracy Beaker. Um, g- the Girls in Love series. Do you remember that? Oh my god! Yes, it was like teenage friendships, and the suitcase kid was good. The illustrated mum, uh, which was basically about like a single parent who was struggling, and some it was like her books were so deep. They were really they really taught me about this. You know how to be empathetic to maybe other families who whose setup was different to yours. I just love her. 
Jacqueline Wilson sounds like an incredible lady. I've never met her. But then her books are very different and they have very different meanings to different people. Okay, I want to move on to another one. Um, this is Nobody Panic. Uh, the podcast, it's been going for a while now. It was formerly known as the Debrief Podcast. Basically, Emma, a guidebook to being a fully functioning adult without screaming all the time. And let's be honest, that's quite difficult to do. <laughs> so full disclaimer on this one, Stevie Martin is a friend of mine and we used to work at the debrief together. Mm-hmm. And then she started the podcast and then it you know, became Nobody Panic. And I just love it. It's my podcast that I listen to if I'm traveling for work. And you know, when you're in a hotel room and it's like, you feel very lucky, very, very privileged to be on a work trip, but you're just a bit bored and alone, like in your room. And it's like, oh, just nothing to do. So I'll put on her podcast because it will feel like, you know, a friend chatting in the background. Because it actually is a friend. I mean, I could probably call her, but I'm I'm listening to the podcast instead. And um, yeah, it's very funny. Every, at the beginning of every episode, they say their adult thing. So like an adult thing that they've done. And it's just really funny. It's ridiculous, actually. Um, sometimes Stevie's like, I learned how to clap properly. That's my adult thing. It's always very random. And um, she's a brilliant comedian. So it's very funny. What's the adult thing that you've done this week? My adult thing is, uh, I'm quite excited about it, uh, Jack Rook, friend of the podcast, who came on to talk about, which is, his book has just come out this week. It's called Cheer the Fuck Up. And it's about helping a friend in crisis. And he did a really lovely episode with us about exactly that, helping a friend going through something. He showed up at my house drunk on his birthday <laughs> with no warning. <laughs> and I brought him in. And I fed him some leftover dinner and there was a chilled champagne in the fridge already. And I just said, I'll just open this champagne. It was the most exciting moment of my life. Oh my God. That's insane. Where was the champagne from? Like, was, how did you just have chilled champagne? Truth be told, it was Prosecco. But in the moment, who's to say? There was something that you could... He certainly can't. He didn't know. I was just bursting something and saying it was champagne. And uh, I put him on my roof. Everyone's famous with the roof where the door fell off. I fixed the door, put him on my roof, looking over the London skyline. Um, I just happened to... Honestly, since... I just have been trying to be a person who has a chilled champagne in the fridge. Mm. But then what's happening every week is I drink it. then no this is like i i try and have different a uh, different selection of wines in my nice wine yeah, rack so, so that when got, people drop around buy it, they're just like yeah or even just actually at this point because no one's coming around to my house at the moment <laughs> exactly it's just me but i'd like to be like oh um oh uh which wine shall i have tonight but i've never got that far because i keep buying one and then drinking it that night and then and then having like half it left and then i'm like well i'll finish that the next night and then and so i've only ever had one on rotation and then like a very old bottle of vegan baileys yeah the- but just looking at your like drinks counter or wine ca- wine having more than one having a wine already in the house i think oh, that no. is that's it that's the upper echelons you know very random but hugely relatable and um, she does it with uh tessa as well and just to give you an idea if you haven't listened to it before things like how to get a puppy how to cook which is what a lot of people were worried about with lockdown they're like oh what do i do now um how to admit you're wrong that's one that i love because i think admitting you're wrong is is as important if not more important than when you're right absolutely and they've become quite niche you know some of them are just like how to break up with a friend who's annoying you or some some of them are how to travel solo how to yeah they're they're very 
specific, which I think is helpful. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Where do you normally listen to podcasts? I normally listen to them when I'm doing something really boring, like doing the washing up or cleaning or something, just to make that less boring. But during lockdown, it's definitely been part of my kind of daily walk routine, going on mm-hmm. like a, an hour long walk and saving up a podcast that I really want to listen to. I think that's the key is if, if, if a new one comes up and you really want to listen, sometimes I think you have to save it for a special outing. <laughs> It's it's a I call it a lockdown treat. So I've certain yes, things like episodes of my favorite shows, maybe you know the last few biscuits in the packet, and my favorite podcasts. You can't be just using them all on a Monday. Exactly, exactly. You don't want to waste it. What's kind of been your your podcast treat during lockdown? Is there was there one particular that you were saving up for? Oh well, I found a new one, and you know <gasps> that feeling of just yeah, feeling like you've got all the treats and wanting to. And there's a few themselves. series. You're like yes. Yes. So it's a self-help coach who I absolutely love. Like I've read all her books and I didn't realize she had a podcast. So it was just a great day that day, realizing I had like 10 episodes. It's part of a series that she does called Bewildering. Martha Beck, she's Oprah Winfrey's life coach. She's um, Imagine being Oprah's life coach. Because I I feel like Oprah's my life coach. Well, that's the thing. It's like, if you're Oprah's life coach, then you're, yeah, you're essentially like, a higher being than Oprah how how does that work no mm-hmm. yeah no she's very spiritual and very comforting and I mean I don't know about you but obviously lockdown has been mentally challenging mm-hmm. so I think I just wanted like a soothing voice you know I didn't want anything too happy chirpy I just wanted someone very kind of slowing me down so she was mm-hmm. perfect you are releasing a book during lockdown. Like, you know, I'm assuming you probably had a very different idea of how you were going to put this book out in the world. Like there would be a book tour, there'd be, you know, a launch. How how are you working through that? Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, I was going to have a big book launch, but sadly not happening. But I think what's been great is how creative everyone's been. I mean, everyone has to be, has had to be, haven't they? You know, even at the beginning I'm sure you had to do lots of different things from home that you would normally go in and do it um, in person but it's been fine I mean I'm just hoping that people still want to read you know books have really helped me during this time so Mm. I I don't feel like it's completely redundant and is not needed I, I, I still feel like hopefully it will be something that people want to consume. I mean, you are the person who put together the hyphen effect um, or talked about it. And I feel like during lockdown, I have definitely been a hyphen in that I've been the presenter, the lighting, the camera, the yeah. like, the, the techie and doing all these things. How have you coped with multitasking in lockdown? You are someone who multitasks in general, but I feel it's gone to a whole other level in the last few months. <laughs> yeah, it is fun. I really like doing the, lots of different things with my career. I suppose 
yeah, the difference is you kind of do it all by yourself at the beginning and then you, you know, get a team or you get help or you have people who manage your projects and help you out. So it's never really on my shoulders completely anymore, which is lovely. But I've just been doing less and I feel lucky that I can do less during this time. But I feel like a lot of people have you know, went through the phase of panic, 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 and then realized, actually, maybe before lockdown, I was doing way too much, you know, being busy, being productive, but actually, was I happy? And I think lockdowns made me realize that if I just turn the dial down slightly, still do my work, still, you know, do my paid job, but just not try and do too much in a day. And I've I've found that actually really, really great to just readjust. I found as well, communication has changed. I've definitely reignited some friendships during lockdown. Friends, I just never had time to call and you just wouldn't call randomly. And I feel, you know, we're all probably FaceTiming more and and making calls Mm. more. And the next podcast I want to talk about is Call Your Girlfriend because it's basically a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. Now we can see people a bit more, but like a few months ago, even if you're friend lived down the road you couldn't see them you had to I felt like long distance Um, and I love this because it's about it doesn't matter where you are in the world that you can still have that best friend who just knows you and you just have those chats with that you can't have with anyone else yeah that I love this podcast so Aminatu So and Anne Friedman are the hosts and they are best friends one lives in LA and the other one lives in New York I think and yeah they just have like a weekly catch-up and you're kind of listening into two friends dissect something really intelligently they talk about politics but they also talk about makeup and and dating and the workplace but always with such a nuanced and kind of interesting lens on life and they're Mm. also coming at it as well from different experiences Um, Aminatu is a black woman Anne Friedman is a white woman and and I and I really love that aspect of it as well that they 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 talk about things through that lens of like an interracial friendship and I think that's super important. I think actually in my adult life like in the last you know 10 years there have been many people where I've just been like can we be friends? And even beyond that, like had conversations about what our friendship is and what role we play for each other. So in I think the way in which we kind of we have those conversations in our romantic relationships, we're like, what is this? And what's our commitment to each <laughs> what other? What are we doing here? Like, yeah. Our, yes, exactly. Like I've had some of those conversations with friends and largely I think what it does for the friendship is it just makes explicit our commitment to each other, but it also creates intimacy because it allows us um, to, I mean, it's, it feels very vulnerable to like talk about to your friend, like what they mean to you, you know, cause there's all the like, do I love them more than they love me stuff mm-hmm. um, that comes up. And I just think it, it, it allows us to be more known to each other. There's something just really powerful about the conversations I've had with friends where we have made a commitment to each other. It feels like such a deep relief. Mm. And I think it's partly because it is outside of the context of a romantic relationship and we just don't have a lot of public models for that. If you've never listened to Call Your Girlfriend, there's 282 episodes for you to get through. How delicious is that? Oh, it's so good. Enjoy. Do you have any friends that you've reconnected with during lockdown? I I don't know if I've had 
kind of reconnecting like actual friendships. But what I have realized is the small amount of people who actually I have just maintained friendships with, (laughs) if that makes sense. Like I I used to just have so many acquaintances, Mm. which is lovely, but it's very hard to manage. And what I've Mm. realized is actually, okay, look, here are the people that really matter. And I'm getting married next year and there's like 120 people coming. Like those are my people. And and of course I can add new ones in. It's not like I'm limited, but I just realized like, you know what, these are the people that actually are my people. And and those are the people I need to really make an effort with. And actually everything else is under the guise of friendship sometimes, but it's actually kind of not. And in, you know, if you're not bumping into people at certain things and you're not staying in contact, then were you actually as close as you thought? So that's been interesting. The difference between friends and acquaintances. And I think especially in a big city like a London, in the media world, you're right. There's a lot of people who are probably acquaintances more, more than friends. And there's a lot of small talk. Oh, mm-hmm. God, I don't miss small talk. It's been like, a lot of small talk you have to do at, at work things. And uh, yeah, it's finding those friends. And I kind of feel like this from Call Your Girlfriend. You know, those friends that like you don't have to talk to for weeks or months. And all it takes is one call and you're suddenly back to where you always are. Yeah, absolutely. And I've definitely been leaving more voice notes to certain people who, you know, I'm just like thinking of you walking around Mm. like blah, blah, blah. And then reconnecting the voice note relationship again. Or yeah, there's definitely been that. And that's been nice. And I really want to carry on that sort of way of life when life gets back to normal a bit you know I don't want to then drop off the radar and not call people as often I want to I want to like carry on being the good friend that I have Mm, been during lockdown and checking in just as you said they're just checking in on each other because normally we kind of contact people when we want something really you know or you want to meet up for coffee or you want to do something or hey do you do you have such a person's number or you know rather than just be like I'm just messaging you for absolutely no reason other than saying hello it really does mean a lot, doesn't it? When you just get a random like checking in mm-hmm. message. So yeah, absolutely. So Emma, you're planning a wedding next year. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel really lucky that I managed to escape, you know, the timing. 2020. Of it all. <laughs> well, yeah. And how, how is that going to be affected at all? Or I suppose you've got your date already locked in. So you're fine. You're sorted. I think so. I mean, I, God, who knows? I'm still... I'm I'm planning it still, but mm-hmm. I just, yeah, there is a freedom in, in just realising that you can't control anything. So mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully fingers I, crossed. I've got like a really good friend who's having a wedding at the end of the year and she's getting really stressed about, do I cancel it? Do I not? And I'm like, at the end of the day, it's going to end up being out of your hands anyway. Yeah. So just allow yeah. the universe to decide whether it happens or not. If it happens, it happens. You've done everything you can do. And if it doesn't, then it'll happen another time. And I think... That's what we've learned. We can plan and oh, I love planning and I love being in control of things. But most things are out of our control. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a bit of an existential reminder that we can't plan anything. And mm-hmm. in a way, maybe maybe that freaks a lot of people out, which I understand. But it's actually made me feel a lot calmer because if I can't plan anything, then just take each day at a time. Take each hour at a time. And plan if you want to, but just know in the back of your mind that things could shift and whatever happens, you will make it work. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. We are learning a lot about each other and ourselves through podcasts. And someone I'm obsessed with is Brené Brown. 
And mm. I I watched her TED talk recently on vulnerability, which is just brilliant. It's not even that long. Watch it if if if, if anyone hasn't watched it, um, have a little look. But um, her podcast, Unlocking Us, I have mentioned this one once before. But when did you find out about who Brené was? Have you read her books or was it the podcast? Yeah, so Brené Brown is someone I discovered a couple of years ago when I discovered her books. And obviously her TED talk is probably where people first found her it's like one of the most watched TED talks ever on vulnerability and so she launched her podcast I think near the start of lockdown it was like February March or something and I just felt like oh my god thank god Brené is going to get me through the lockdown (laughs) and yeah it's amazing and she's just so incredible in her unique kind of perspective being a behavioral researcher she's like Mm -hmm. a psychologist meets you know researcher so she comes at things from a different angle you know she's not the same old interviewer asking the same questions she's Mm -hmm. there's a layer beneath it or she's unpicking something you never thought you wanted to unpick so Mm -hmm. big fan of her and also she always talks about how she's constantly learning she says everyone that she talks to are people who are teaching her who are challenging her who are confusing her and maybe even tickling her a little bit and and I love that because she kind of asks the questions that you want to ask and and even pushes herself and her own beliefs yeah and that's the thing I love about Brené is like she's obviously in this world she's an academic she says that she's a geek and that she's like someone that just like sits and reads books all day but then she's kind of entered this like celebrity world and become a bit of a celebrity and so Mm -hmm. I feel like she's there's this innocence in like her asking these celebrities questions from almost like an outsider perspective if you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and so I really liked the one with Judd Apatow where she's trying to ask him to really explain why what what makes something funny and like why something funny can also make us cry and she's just coming at it from like yeah a completely different angle I suppose. That one particularly with Judd Apatow actually listened to that one recently and it's the connection between grief and humour and how important mm-hmm. it is and sometimes it feels wrong like I I remember going to a funeral recently and we all laughed so much because we're all sharing these memories together and really sometimes you feel a bit guilty in that but from listening to his podcast you just you realise how close they actually intertwine. Absolutely, because people say that the that grief is just love, but it's like shape-shifted, you know. Yeah, like you just you, don't you have really, the love to re- give to that person. Yeah, and that you, the more you grieve, the more you loved. Mm-hmm. And so actually, yeah, of course, laughter might be a part of that because you're you're re-remembering the love. And so, yeah, I, I really like that one. And also for someone like him, who's just so funny all the time, it's nice mm-hmm. to get a serious, a bit of a serious side of him as well. Tell everyone about the the premise of the King of Staten Island, what it's about, Pete Davidson's story. Tell us about well, it a little bit. In real how, life, Pete, how you came to it. Um, in real life, Pete Davidson's father was a, a firefighter who died on 9-11. And Pete was seven years old when that happened. And it led to, you know, a lot of issues that anyone would have if they were seven years old and had to go through a trauma that also became a national trauma that also never really goes away. People talk about it constantly. And we would talk about that at length. Uh, You know, I would always say to him, you know, my mom died 12 years ago, but no one talks about it. So it's not, I'm not re-injured by it on a daily basis. Right. I can go, I can go years without someone mentioning my mom to me. And I think it's an experience that most of us know nothing about when something like that is constantly re-imprinted on you every single day of your life. Right. And so we started talking about 
you know, making a movie about what would happen if Pete didn't find comedy, because in real life, he's a very ambitious person. If he didn't find comedy and he was living at home with his mom, his really smart sister goes to college and his mom decides that maybe she should be more social and falls in love with another firefighter. And now this slacker kid who's really having a lot of problems has to try to bond with this potential stepdad who he hates and it forces him to confront everything that has been an obstacle in his life. And Bill Burr plays uh, Ray, the firefighter. He's, he's a, you know, one of our great comedians. And Marissa Tomei plays his mom. And Steve Buscemi is in the movie. And my daughter, Maude Apatow, and Belle Pauly, and Ricky Velez, all sorts of great people. And it is a, you know, the rare comedy, which is an exploration of grief. And it's about, you know, how it affects wait, 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 the family. Wait. I got You got to say that again. Yeah. The rare comedy that is an exploration of grief. Yes. What part of that is rare? I think that it's a, you know, it's a difficult subject to attack directly. And usually people don't do it in a comedy. It, it has, has been attempted. But to, to go all the way into it to where you really feel it uh, is not something that people try to do that often. A lot of it sometimes feels common sense, but then she'll back it up by all her new research and um, <laughs> yeah. and also answer questions from her listeners. And one thing that kind of comes up with all her guests, and I mean, she says everyone from Judd Apatow that we mentioned there to Alicia Keys, and she just talks about how we're all learning from each other. We don't have to do this life alone. And that's why these podcasts are so important because it's all research, really. Yeah, I mean... I think it, it would have been incredibly powerful for people listening to this podcast in lockdown. There was one on loneliness. Mm. It was with Dr. Vivek Murthy. Mm. And she really breaks down that whole thing around how you can feel lonely in a room full of people and how you can feel not lonely sometimes on your own. Mm. And I just, I learned so much. I honestly felt like I'd read a whole book. Like that's how I felt after listening to that hour long podcast. There are people in lockdown who would be sharing a house with lots of people, maybe in a house share and would be feeling exceptionally lonely during this time. And as you say, there could be someone by themselves who, you know, looking at it from the outside world, you know, everyone's looking at them going, oh, poor them by themselves. But they're actually probably mm. way more than comfortable and feeling very loved in their own bubble. Oh, my God, absolutely. And I remember listening to someone say that, actually during lockdown, you could feel more distance than you've ever felt from your partner, even mm -hmm. though you're on the sofa next to each other or you're, you know, mm -hmm. in the four walls together. If you're just moving into different rooms, like doing your conference calls or being busy or in your own head, it could be that you feel really like there's a gulf between you. And so it, I felt like it was really important to remind myself that even though I'm with my partner all day long, I actually need to look into his eyes and make time for mm -hmm. e you know for for each other so that was a good reminder yeah you kind of take you take people who are there all the time in your lives for granted because they're just there so you don't kind of have I know did you do this during lockdown like we ended up having to do like a date night because because yes, like yes, he's same. always there and normally it's exciting because we're away a lot and then we see each other and it becomes a thing but when they're there all the time you're like well today's just the same as every other day that we kind of had to make a special space in the week yeah, I was like, at once a week, we're sitting at the table, <laughs> like, without the TV on. I mean, it sounds like I'm being a teacher, but I was like, come on, let's like, actually sit down, have a dinner, because that's what you would do in a restaurant. And so yeah. I was like, let's try and create us being at a restaurant, because then we talk all night. Whereas if we're on the sofa, mm. she's not going to talk as much. 
No, it's really, I mean, we've used every single space you could possibly use in your house to pretend it's a different, it's a bar. We're in a jazz club now. <laughs> it's in the corner of the kitchen. Then we're going to go away to the hallway, new gin bar, and the snacking is out of control. That's another issue. But, uh, <laughs> oh my God, same. And drinking. Oh, and drinking. I just, oh, talk to me, Emma. Talk to me about the drinking thing because I, I just actually, I did another podcast earlier on today and the person doing it said, well, I haven't drank in five weeks. And I said, well, I've drank every day. Yeah, well, I did a podcast actually last year in December around Christmas time around mm-hmm. drinking and how, you know, we kind of act like it's normal to drink loads mm-hmm. being in, in the UK. And um, the, it was with Ruby Warrington, who wrote the book Sober Curious. Mm-hmm. And it's not, this isn't a book about like, you must be sober. It's not like a hand slappy book. It's just mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're feeling like you, you want a break from it, why don't you be curious about what you'd mm-hmm. be like if you were sober? And I really like that book because it's very non-judgmental. It's just like, do what's best for you. Sometimes you're going to want to drink, sometimes you won't. And yeah, I've definitely been having like a glass of wine most nights during lockdown. And I'm coming now to the point where I feel a shift happening and -hmm. I'm feeling like I don't need to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just finding that interesting. I'm just going with whatever I'm, I'm wanting at the time without any judgment on myself. I love this idea of what you just said there about like, it's not judging not judging ourselves. It's more being curious if I try something different and see how that goes. Yeah, exactly. I think curiosity is a really great way to come at anything. It's the same with the productivity thing of like, how productive are you being? And people shaming Mm. you for being too productive, like, oh, how do you have time to write a book? And then people shaming people for not being productive and being like, oh, you're not doing enough. And so I just think, you know, come on, let's just be nice to each other and and whatever works for us, you know. But I think with the alcohol conversation, I do think there is a responsibility there to know if it's starting to harm you or if it's starting Mm -hmm. to like take something from your life. Like I I don't think there's anything wrong with like having a glass of wine. Mm -hmm. But if I was starting to be snappy with my boyfriend or if I was Mm -hmm. not able to function the next day or if it was depressing me a bit, I'd be like, okay, let's be curious about this and maybe tomorrow not do that. So yeah, I just think it's like every day pff, being curious. And and everyone's different. Everyone has different reactions. I know I can't drink as much as my partner can drink, <laughs> you know, and then I also know that if I have to work the next day, I, I'm in my 30s now. I can't do what I used to do in my early 20s. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I used to be able to, but I can't do it now. And it's just everyone's different. So people will have different reactions. Some people can have a drink. Some people don't want to drink and don't judge them either way. It's, it's just doing it for you. The final podcast that's on your recommendations list is Awards Chatter Podcast, and it's in-depth interviews with the most interesting and accomplished people in show business. Scott Feinberg created it and hosts it. Tell me a little bit about this podcast. So this is kind of what it says on the tin. It's a podcast interviewing Hollywood's finest actors or directors. And it's, you know, it's the Oscars of podcasts, really. It really gets in there with with everyone who's nominated for all the big awards. And it's not really that it's like the celebrities I'm interested in. It's more that Scott is the most incredible interviewer. He researches like I've never seen before. He'll remind people of things in their lives where they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you know that. Like, I forgot about that. He'll be, mm-hmm. you know, like to Olivia Coleman or something. He's like, in 1994, you did this. And she's shocked at how he remembered that or found that so mm-hmm. it's a really incredible journey through someone's career it's not just about the film they're in it's like taking that actor through their life I suppose it's a bit like Desert Island Discs but without the music he mm-hmm. just really gets the truth of their career out of them and I love it 
And when you say you were getting work even beyond that collaboration, that was The Office, right? Black Books around that time. Yeah. Green Wing. So. Gosh, well done. (laughs) No, well, I just think it's to say that there was a lot of comedic work at the beginning, which for people who have only caught up maybe more recently might be be a little surprising. But I guess the big one with them that and really in terms of probably at that point putting you on a radar larger than anything up to that point would have been Peep Show? Yes. Can yes. you explain for any Americans who mm. are, again, late to the party, just, you know, what that involved? Sounds rude, Peep Show. <laughs> not. Well, it's not as rude as you think. Right. <laughs> so Peep Show was Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong, who wrote together and they sometimes write you know, their own things as well. They had been writing for other people and so had Rob and David, and I think they all met when they were all writing for someone else. And Sam and Jesse just thought, these two are hilarious and we should write something for them. I think that's how it all worked out. And it's all filmed from POV, point of view. So we had a camera, initially it was sort of on a hat on our head. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and and it was, <laughs> well, we're not very good camera people. And it also, as you got hot and sweaty wearing this thing on your head, it would start to slide. Oh, my And you've got God. to, and someone would grab the back of your head to try and keep your head. Right, so right. the camera's still getting the right image. <laughs> And then after the first series, they realised that was silly. And so we got a proper <laughs> camera op who, yeah, who yeah. did it with the digicam. And then we put our arms around him to do all of the stuff and drinking. And I'm, do- I'm doing hand signals, which is rubbish. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We know actors for playing a certain role. Same about musicians. We know them for their music. We don't really know them as a person. We'll see them do interviews for promo or red carpets, being at the awards ceremony, picking up the award. And sometimes I feel the most insight you get is when they accept the award but then the music comes and they have to be shoved off stage because no one can no one has uh longer than you know a few minutes this is as you said it's an in-depth interview there are long interviews there's a lot of research in there and it's a journey for the for the interviewee as well and it like you say you know when you go on a wikipedia page and you're like wow this person look at what they've Mm. done this is like the wikipedia page but with all of the rejections in there as well and Mm. so they'll tell you about the audition they you know one of them I can't remember which interview it was but it's a really high profile actor who basically says that he was up for the role of like Jack in Titanic or something and didn't get Mm. it and like you realize that these are people who they've all been rejected and I think we forget that about actors is that Mm. a lot of them will have auditioned for a role and then they'll probably have to see that movie like in the cinemas and they and know that they didn't get it. Mm. And so it's really interesting hearing all about that stuff. It's humanising, isn't it? Humanising people. Yeah, exactly. It's that, you know, these actors are no different really from anyone else in terms of going for a job interview and sometimes getting it and sometimes not. It's just mostly they don't get it. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was one um, he did recently with Janelle Monae. I don't know if you heard it, but I I thought it was really interesting. It was, it was I think it was just after she came out as pansexual. She's kind of coming into her own from the music world and being an actress, and then also talking about she had this alter ego, Cindy Mayweather, for so long. And I think with a lot of artists, and you actually you'll probably get this from interviewing so many people. There's people I interview who 
on stage, you know, like the Beyonce's who are Sasha Fierce, and then they come off and they're like a totally different person. They're, mm-hmm. They they're quite shy, they're quite quiet, they're quite reserved, and I that always gets me because we're so used to thinking, you know, actors are so confident as because we see them playing a character that in real life their real persona is so different. Olivia Coleman, for example, like she's so softly spoken and and so kind of quirky and so lovable, and then you see her playing these big strong roles. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I always get that, like, surprised by that with comedians because sometimes I think that comedians are just being themselves on stage when actually a lot of it is obviously performance. And I remember seeing a female comedian once and she was, like, larger than life on the stage, like, absolutely hysterical, just, like, the life and soul. And she came off stage and she kind of walked past me and I just, and I just, I couldn't help it. I was like, oh, my God, like, that was amazing. You're incredible. And she, she was, she went bright red and just, like, scurried away. Like, she was so, so shy and quiet. And I thought, that's even more impressive. Also, have you ever found this as well? I, I always assume, especially with people I really respect, that they know how good they are, whether it's an author, whether it's a songwriter. And I just assume they know they're really good. But sometimes people don't tell them that. They'll have the fans who are like, you know, completely obsessed with them and in love with them. But it does, that's not real. Do you know what I mean? It's just like the kind of kind of fanatic hyper over the top. And then you've got the hate. But another way, some, I remember once giving a compliment saying, oh, this song, that's, it wasn't a single, but I remember listening to it and I thought this lyric was really incredible. But I kind of just said it in a matter of fact, it really touched me. And they were like, oh, wow, that song, do you like it? And I was like, well, yeah, but you surely know that's a great song. And they were like, well, no one really kind of mentioned that before. And I'm like, what? And you just kind of forget that, like, sometimes people don't say things. Yeah, it's really, really true. Because there's also a YouTube series called Actors on Actors. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. ever seen it where you've got like the two A-listers interviewing each other. And they're really, they're normally just so sweet with each other because they're complimenting each other. And it's like, it's it's they're just kind of over the moon that one of their colleagues or peers or someone in their industry is saying that their work's good and it, yeah mm. it's like they've never heard a compliment before it's it's really bizarre this is why i love podcasts cause you just kind of get behind all that bullshit and it's just yeah it's just the real person at the beginning of lockdown, you started the virtual book club on Instagram. Are you going to keep doing that? Yeah, I am. I really am enjoying it. Um, yeah, so it's called the Hyphen Book Club. I started it at the beginning of lockdown because I just thought, okay, what can I do? What like what can I do? And I had books in, on my shelves and I had mm-hmm. some spare time. And I thought, let's kind of get some book lovers together and have a little community on Instagram and yeah I will keep it up because it's only reading well not only it but a book a month I feel like is doable um I think anything other than that is a bit a bit hard to keep up with but I think I can mm-hmm. still do that a book a month and read it together it's good and a great book for you guys if you haven't got it uh, yet is Olive um, so this is exploring the obstacle course of adulthood milestone decisions and the taboo about choosing not to have children and I think this is something we've kind of spoken about on the podcast before. And again, the questions of everyone has a choice of how they live their life, but society kind of feels they deserve to know the reasons why you do the things you do. Yeah, exactly that. It's about a main character who is child-free by choice. She doesn't have any interest in having children and it's just her kind of navigating the world and also navigating her friendships where her best friends who have always been there becoming mothers and she's just trying to feel okay with her own path which she should do but society kind of 
is making her doubt herself, which I think a lot of child-free women by choice uh, feel is that people kind of prod them and nudge them and ask them loads of questions and it makes them feel like they're doing something wrong. So yeah, I wanted to explore that and just have a protagonist who is a bit of a role model, even just in her own life and and have that in fiction because I I've never read a book really where the main character doesn't want children. So mm-hmm. it's my little part that I wanted to put out there. You've already accomplished so much in your hyphen life with all the books now moving into novels. Would the next step be a screenplay? Well, I've been thinking about it, but mm-hmm. again, it's it seems like a completely different craft. And I suppose, like I said at the beginning, when I was like, oh, I had no confidence with writing novels. I suppose when I hear that word, I completely feel inferior and imposter syndrome and that I couldn't possibly do that so maybe that's a sign that I could do it but you should I, do it I think as soon as you get those yeah. feelings because you've had <laughs> exactly. them before and it works out well that means go for it yeah yeah no I'm I'm excited by the idea of that and I also love being a multi-hyphenate for that reason you know you can get mm-hmm. an idea and when you get an idea that you're excited about I think it's so fun now that you can be like is it a podcast is it a book is it a film is it you know what is it and feel like maybe it's doable so yeah who knows and the podcast um, control alt delete that will be continuing who would be your dream person to have on that you haven't had yet well if Jacqueline Wilson is listening yes (laughs) she's obviously someone I want to interview also Oprah yeah I am interviewing Martha Beck soon (gasps) that is going to be a, a moment for me I'm really excited to talk to her I'm really nervous though it's like one of those ones where I'm going to have to get a glass of wine or something while I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> just just the gla- one glass of wine, not the bottle, because that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, she'll be like, well, that was an interesting interview. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for joining me on Castaway. Thank you for the recommendations. I'm really looking forward to hearing the next episodes of Control Alt Delete. And best of luck with the book. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that's it. Another episode down as we delved deep into my guest's audio world. I hope you get cast away by today's top podcast picks. Yeah, I just said that, sorry. All of the podcasts we've mentioned today are included in the episode show notes. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of Cast Away delivered straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.